Hello and welcome to Talk the Text with Dr. Stephen Brackeen. Uh, today I will be joined by my wife again, Miss Heather, and we are looking at multiple things that are going on uh, here, basically the end of the book of 2 Samuel. So we've been in the book of 2 Samuel for several weeks uh, with our student ministry, and uh, we uh, have talked about basically uh, throughout uh, this week in small groups and through the email that goes out for Bible study. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you are interested in that, you can reach out to me and uh, we can get you included on this Bible study email. We have several college students that are doing this and parents as well along with us. And uh, we're glad to be able to welcome them uh, to this uh, discipleship program. And uh, so this podcast is just a small part of that. And I know there, there are some that listen to that. So uh, 2 Samuel chapter number 12, we really look at um, a, a drastic change, if you will. What takes place, David uh, begins to suffer publicly for a private sin. Uh, we know that David really had uh, two primary uh, things that, that become a major issue for his entire family. Number one, he commits adultery. Uh, and then number two, uh, he really plots the murder uh, of what would have been probably one of his friends. And so we're talking about how our um, private life uh, ultimately becomes public. Uh, next, we really looked at with our uh, group uh, how David responds to the grief of losing this child, which we hear that and we don't realize that that would be national news uh, in our day and age. And it was then too. Uh, it's a very public thing uh, for the king to lose a child. And, uh, but David's response uh, in 2 Samuel 12, 23 uh, really helps us to have some Bible doctrine. Uh, he basically gets up, he uh, cleans himself up, he begins to eat, and uh, they come to him and ask him, uh, how is it that you fasted and prayed and mourned uh, while the baby was sick, but now the baby is dead, uh, that you, you move on? And he said, well, there's no way for me, uh, for the baby to come to me, but I can go to him. And so we understand that God has compassion on these children, and, uh, and it gives us some Bible doctrine for understanding uh, what comes for kids um, young, very young children, uh, if they are to die. And we know that this brings us some comfort, uh, that this baby, even uh, David's child, is there in heaven. But today, uh, Miss Heather and I are really going to talk about what is seemingly a contradiction. And so join us as we look at 2 Samuel 24, verse 1, and 1 Chronicles 21, 1. And uh, one of these passages, 2 Samuel names, uh, that the Lord uh, God uh, incited or uh, was upset with David and enticed him uh, to count or to number the people. And in First Chronicles 21, uh, the scripture clearly notes that Satan entices this census and there is judgment that is going to come in the remainder of the book, and that's what we're going to examine together today. So thanks for joining us again for another episode of Talk the Text, and let's jump right in as we look at these uh, focuses on what is found in Scripture and what they mean for us today. All right, so I am joined by Miss Heather now, and... Um, 
I want us to look through our training tip for the week. And one of those training tips that I think are so important, and again, I want to reemphasize uh, the importance of a study Bible, especially to a student. Uh, I've spoken with several parents in recent days uh, that have reached out to me, even grandparents and different individuals that have said, hey, I don't even have a study Bible. Uh, what are your thoughts or why should I get one or where do I get one? And um, one of the grandparents actually told me they're so inexpensive, uh, I may get two. And uh, so I think one of the reasons that study Bibles help us so much is, is this concept of what Miss Heather challenged our group to do last week. And that was uh, to know what a word means. And uh, so the word hyssop apply, uh, appeared in our verses last week. And Miss Heather challenged our group uh, if they knew the answer to that. Did anybody come to you with an answer or text you? They did not. Of course, I don't think we addressed it in group that they didn't come to us the answer. Um, so did you have anybody ask you about it? Nope. Nobody came to me either. And uh, so I do think that uh, it's important for us to uh, try to address that now as an answer. And um, again, why we need a study Bible is because it helps us to identify some of those words and define them and then to know that we need to know them to help understand the verse. So uh, let's look at this word. And again, there are certain words in every passage that really help us. They're, they're key words, they're context words uh, that help us to understand passages. So let's talk about this one just quickly about hyssop for our training tip for the week, which is look for specific words that you may not know. As a matter of fact, I spent a large portion of my morning uh, looking up words and chasing down background history of individuals to see uh, really how they apply. And uh, Joab is the one that I spent a lot of morning uh, studying because he appears in the passage that we'll uh, be studying tonight and uh, also uh, in the coming kind of podcast and day. So, hyssop. Um, I think one of the first things you should always do, we talk about quite often, is just first a cross-reference, and that may give you the idea of what that particular word is. Um, and so that's the great thing about a study Bible. It already has so many of those cross-references already um, laid out for you. Um, one of the ones that I do love and I think helps us is in Exodus 12, 22. Um, it says, take a bunch of hyssop and dip it into the blood and in the basin, and then it talks about putting it over the door frame. And most of our high school students be familiar with when the blood, when a door frame is when the death angel is about to pass over and the Israelites are going to be delivered from the nation of um, Egypt. And so the hyssop was used as an instrument to apply the blood, the sacrifice, to the home. And um, I do think that's neat how that relates to David, that he is asking to be cleansed, you know, almost as an instrument of applying the blood. And I think if you look through Old Testament and New Testament, you'll definitely see um, the correlation and the use of a blood sacrifice in the Old Testament all the, lead, all the way leading up to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, where hyssop is actually mentioned again, even in the New Testament. So that is a, hyssop is a, instrument and is actually type of plant it is if it's, you medical. At, it's a medical plant yeah. as well and if you and you've had the advantage of going to israel um and from what i understand it actually grows even along the western wall yeah of israel when you're there visiting um so it almost also serves a visible reminder um when you're there of 
what hyssop is used for and the applications and how it applied um, blood for the forgiveness of sins. Yeah, and it's kind of a, uh, I mean, just like background, and I know this is, so this is in our training tip kind of section, is this kind of a shrubby kind of brush looking, and they would cut the the individual pieces, the little branches that come off, bind them together, and uh, it was used as a cleansing agent, and so um, it's it's very much... Uh, it would be similar in our day and age as uh, what some of the essential oils are, that there are healing factors and there are helpful parts of hyssop. And so it has a similar context in, in Jewish kind of history. So that's your training tip for the week. And now we are going to launch here uh, into the question uh, that is poised in uh, 2 Samuel chapter number 24. We'll be looking at verse number 1. And the seeming contradiction of Chronicles 21 and verse 1. So look, we're going to begin, Miss Heather and I, are, uh, by reading these two seeming contradictions. And uh, we will, again, uh, kind of speak about what is going on in the passage. So let me do a little bit of a quick uh, recap, if you will. So... Um, the book of 2 Samuel is where we actually are. So chapter 24 is the last part, and that's the end of our study that we are going to do in 2 Samuel. Um, the book is really broken down in, verse, in chapters 1 through 10 of the triumph of David. David does a lot of very positive things in chapters 1 through 10. Uh, 11 and 12 of 2 Samuel uh, record David's, really his temptation, and he falls in two massive areas. And that brings us to the end, which are really the trials of David, uh, which start in chapter 13 and follow us all the way through chapter 24 where we are. And David is going to, in this chapter, um, he is going to make a mistake. And uh, I'm going to have you read that verse, and then I'll read uh, Chronicles 21, and we'll discuss this mistake that he makes and why there's a con looks like a contradiction in Scripture and what we can really learn from it this week. Sure. So in 2 Samuel 24, 1, it says, And again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, Go number Israel and Judah. All right. So uh, then in First Chronicles 21, it says, And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. And so the contradiction that we would see seemingly in this passage is, which one is it? Did God, in, did God cause David to go number the people or did Satan cause him to number the people? So that's what we're going to discuss. I think the first thing that we have to do is ask the very first obvious question, why was it a sin for David to even number the people? Was he allowed to number the people? Well, I think if you look back um, back in the book of Exodus, God gave very specific requirements on when and how to number his people because they are his people. Um, and David is all of a sudden taking ownership of God's people, um, almost in a prideful sense that so they now belong to him, therefore he could number them. Also, I do think it um, the census was a way showing a, almost um, arrogance on David's part that he didn't have to depend on God. 
um, to fight his battles. The census was in essence going to take these people and number them so he could see his fighting men. So he can determine, all right, do I have enough men to go to war against this nation? Do we outnumber them? Are we stronger than them? And I think even if you look um, back to even a conversation with Jonathan, his best friend, um, Jonathan one time they're fixing to go to battle and says, God can save by many or God can save by few. Yeah. Because the battle belongs to the Lord. And here David, once again, is almost being lifted up in pride, um, looking to see how many people he had and then and not trusting God with the battle, but looking to his own might and his own strength, which I think is a common problem with most of us in our lives. Yeah, absolutely. So I think uh, you're absolutely right. Answering the question, yes, David, numbering the people is not sinful. It's it's the heartbeat behind it. And so uh, Moses numbered the people. You're right, God commanded him to. This is not something that is unusual. However, it reveals David's heart. And so often I think we forget that we reveal our heart all the time to the world by the things that we do. Our actions dictate, really are dictated by our heart. And I think it does expose David. I think it exposes, like you said, pride, uh, number one. And then I think it also exposes the fact that David uh, had failed to trust in God. I think this is so common for us as believers that we fail so regularly to trust in God. Uh, We think, well, we have job security. uh, We have national security. We rest in the power of, of our earning might or a savings account or retirement or the fact of our standing at school or our friendship or you know, what check mark is by our name on social media, we find great pride, but we find security in those things. And the Lord is saying we need to find our safety, our security in the Lord. And I think that's exposed to David. The next question then is, who did this? Who on earth uh, is the one that provoked these things? So in, in verse number one in Second Samuel, it says the Lord... Uh, was his anger was kindled against Israel and he and he moved David against them to say so i think the it is important to note at least for us in this contradiction that the lord is capitalized however if you look in verse number 1 of 24 the and he moved uh, David against them to say the he is not capitalized. And so it certainly even grammatically gives us the ability to say, who is the he in verse number one of chapter 24? Who is the he? I think this is not the only answer. However, it is one that bears to be discussed. The he could easily be inserted the he of chapter 21 of first Chronicles, and that be Satan. I think what this does, and I'm going to let Miss Heather kind of comment on this as well. I think what it does is it opens the door for us to discuss very clearly the sovereignty of God. James chapter number one clearly tells us that God doesn't tempt men to sin, that God has never sinned, and he doesn't make us sin. However, God is sovereign. He is in control and and has power over every situation. And he knows what's going on in David's heart. He knows what Satan 
what role Satan can play in revealing that sin that's in David's heart. And he can allow these things, even by the hand of Satan, to take place. And I think that's the really the, the crux of looking at this, is God is in control of all of these situations. He has all power. He can build up or tear down nations or kings or rulers, and he knows the future, and he knows what is going to happen. And I believe he allows David of his own decision to fall prey to a, to a movement of Satan all being under control, knowing what is going to take place. Uh, and I think that's the best way that I can come to understand this passage, uh, is that there is, and there are other contradictions, and we'll look at them in just a minute, uh, or seeming contradictions. Uh, and I think it's important we address these so that we're not, as believers, caught unawares by someone else that may say, oh, well, the Bible has is full of errors, and here's one right here. And so that's one reason why today we're kind of addressing this topic. But Miss Heather, what do you see here uh, that that maybe helps us, again, maybe something else that we can put? This is one hand of the conversation, but on the other hand, uh, we'll let you put something in the other hand for us to talk about here. Um, I think it's an important point that we bring out. We're talking about contradictions within Scripture or supposed contradictions. Um, sometimes when we go to Scripture, it depends on what you're looking for. Um, I think some people are constantly searching Scriptures for the wrong reasons. They're looking for contradictions. And then if you're looking for that, that is what you're going to see. But if you're looking with the right heart and the right mindset and looking for reconciliation of those thoughts within Scripture, then you'll see the good and you'll see the reconciliation that can be found. So I think the heart of which we go into looking at some of these is important, that we're going in with a humble heart, like, Lord, teach me your truths through your word. Um, even some things that may be hard or difficult to understand, I think that's when we learn the most. You know, Yeah, I could agree more. That, I really do. Yeah, I think so right. when these questions are presented, that helps us dig in further and put our roots in deeper um, to what we believe. Otherwise, some of us are, we're just kind of stuck on the surface level of, of the Bible, and we're only looking for what we want instead of digging in, seeing the hard things, seeing things that may seem uncomfortable um, to our Western thought processes, um, and then looking in here. Because um, I think most of us in the Western world have a very um, unbiblical view of God um, and His holiness and judgment and righteous. Um, we like to see God as love and the fact that even that first part and says, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. People would almost be like, what? God could be angry with me? Um, and I think it's when we see the anger of the Lord was kindled again against Israel. Israel had repeatedly as a nation right. um, rejected God's teachings, rejected what the plan they had for him, which was, we see, of course, in hindsight, that was a beautiful plan of what he had. And they keep choosing their own um, path and their own thoughts over God's thoughts and plan for them. Um, and so when we see that, we have to be willing that we can have our mind open and saying, God, what do you teach me here? Even if it is hard or difficult. Um, I would just say one thing. I think, I mean, I a hundred percent agree with you. And I think it is interesting that the anger of the Lord is kindled against them. I think it's interesting that we as believers, and this was, kind of going to be my application, my landing point, but I think you bring out an excellent point that we need to look at, is the fact that it does anger God when we don't trust Him. 
And that's ultimately what this is going to reveal, is that David lacks faith to trust God. And I think this is important because he is so content with where he is. He feels like there is, there is that he has things in control. And when we live that way, it angers God. I don't think everybody would fully understand and comprehend that, that our lack of trust and faith and living by faith, we would just say, well, God's probably not happy with that, or that's disappointing to him. But no, if we are his people, then he's angry with us if we don't live by faith and trust him. And so I think that was kind of a, an essential point, I think, that, you know, as you brought up, I just thought maybe we would tag that while we were right there. So Yeah, I, I completely understand that for sure. When you're talking about especially like the anger of God, we don't mind if God's anger is directed at other people or enemies. We, mm-hmm. want, we want justice and judgment then. We want God's justice and judgment to reign supreme then. We want God's love to um, shine on us when our sin is before him. Um, but God can't separate the two. God is love. God is holy. God is just. So there's no, he is all those things in one where we have a hard time sometimes in our human nature um, splitting the two. So um, I think that God is justice in his act, just in his acts here in this verse. And then you're talking about, once again, like who, who incited or who provoked David to do this numbering? Um I think you're correct. There's several different opinions when you start to read and study about this, what it could be. Um, that very well, it could be that he could be Satan in there. Um, but I think we look back um, to the life of Job, and we see a picture similar to this, that Satan goes to God and asks for permission, in essence, to tempt one of God's servants. Yeah. Um, and so, but if you notice, even within that story, um, that Satan has to operate within the perimeters that God set forth during that whole time of Job. Um, he had to ask each time to step over a different bound. Um, so we realize that Satan very well could have been planning this scheme in his mind that he's going to destroy Israel. That's Satan's plan all along. He wants death, destruction, because that he knows that's his ultimate end. And so he could very well try to destroy David with this plot and plan. Um, and God sees already that the choices that David's going to make and then he's going to see the results that are going to come from David's choices and then he's going to see um, how God is going to bring forgiveness and healing to the land in the end. Um, so I think God possibly allows Satan to have the freedom to tempt David as we talked about with this, but then only within the bounds that God sets forth. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely God sets the parameters, and Satan is moving within them um, in his rebellion, feeling that he has the freedom to, to overcome all. However, he is bound, and he is bound by these parameters. And so I think that is to answer our question. And I know time is running short. I do think um, that I want to point out one more thing, and uh, we're going to talk about these uh, tonight in our Wednesday night lesson. I wish uh, all of our listeners here could fo- follow there as well. Uh, and you can receive the emails with this Bible study if you're interested in them and you uh, contact us. Uh, we can send these weekly emails, Bible studies uh, to you that give some of the background. But I think, again, these words, and that's kind of what our training tip were about as well. But in verse number 10, it says, And David's heart smote him after that he had numbered the people. 
Um, again, I think we see the sovereignty of God here. However, uh, the, then he is given a choice of what punishment he's going to take, and God holds the punishment at bay. It actually stops on this threshing floor that inevitably becomes the temple mount. Right. Uh, and David buys the temple mount and and uh, sacrifices there unto the Lord. And so that's a whole other storyline that I wish we could touch on, but I do feel like we have to point it out when we're in this chapter. It's like at this point, such an essential thing is taking place uh, that David is uh, purchasing. First of all, he purchases the threshing floor itself, and there's one total given for what he purchases there. And then Again, uh, over in First Chronicles, it mentions another total which David buys, and I believe he buys the whole of Mount Moriah, that entire area there uh, where the temple inevitably will be built. God reveals to him where this is going to be through his suffering. Isn't that also where Abraham sacrifices Jesus? Isaac? Right. That is correct, or it potentially would right. have sacrificed Isaac. So that's a lot right. Of on that a lot. That's a. That's a. It's an important point in time and history, and and we see that it appears here. But I love that David knows the voice of the Lord enough to hear and to sense conviction. And I'm going to use this illustration now. I'm going to use it again tonight. Um, but but it works because you're here. I love that David hears and knows the voice of the Lord, that he hears that voice and he's convicted. And so often I have people ask me, Brother Stephen, how will I know the voice of the Lord? How will I know it when I hear it? And um and if if Heather were to call me on the phone, and uh and I look down at my phone, and I see it has a picture of her there and it has her name, and I say hello and she says hello. I don't I would never say, hey who is this, and then can you imagine she would say to me, this is Heather. And I say, Heather who, Heather Brackeen, your wife. Like that conversation does not happen because why? Because I know, you know my voice. I, yeah. <laughs> I know For your sure. voice. Sure. And when I hear your voice, I know it. And I think David knows God's voice here because where he gets it. Number one, it is interesting the man of God is going to come to David. And just like that picture on my phone, when I open the Word of God and I hear something from it, when I'm studying it, just like this verse jumps out at me, I know that's coming from the Lord. It's from His Word. But not only that, I know His voice because I spend time with Him, because I have tried and tested the voices and the Spirit that speaks to me. Can I make a mistake? Yes, I can. Uh, I've made a mistake before. Answered the phone, thought it was somebody, the wrong somebody. Uh, but however, when when a voice that I know speaks to me, I, I, I recognize it, I hear it. And I would say here that David knows this voice. It smites his heart. And there are many scholars that believe one of the reasons why the two number counts are different is because of this verse, verse number 10. There, there are many scholars that believe in verse number 10, David becomes convicted during the count and he puts a stop to it. He stops it during the midst of his own sin. Wow, how powerful for us to realize when we come face to face with ourselves and with our sin, when is the time we should stop? Right away. How do we respond to the voice of God? Immediately when we hear it. And I love that that is the beginning process of restoration of fellowship with God, is when David stops what he's doing 
and he gives credence to the man of God, to the message of God, and then he makes sacrifice that cost him, a costly, he pays it forward. Worship that cost us nothing is worth nothing. Obedience that costs nothing is worth nothing. And I think I would entitle even our lesson time tonight and this is the free gift that cost everything. And so often we hear this, that salvation is free, it's free, it's free. The truth is this, that salvation is free, but it cost us everything. If you're a believer, God owns you. He, he has bought you with a price. And, and our service to the master, there is no price that is too high. And it ought to be all. We give all. We're willing to serve all. And I love the picture of David coming to give everything to pay this price, to establish this true heritage for the, the legacy of the Jewish people on this place. And he, he purchases this with great price uh, for the cause of Christ. So, Yeah, I think, once again, there's so much in this passage that we are not going to get to cover. But I think that's the goal, or one of the goals of this podcast, is that you just kind of almost set forth an appetizer almost that like yes. hey this is good come and taste and see yeah and so that the rest of the week they go in and dig deeper um for themselves you know yep. there's so much more there's joab who tries to stop david you know saying hey and other captains yes they yep. do this is not a good idea even with this in a with Bathsheba's last thing i was like hey god put people in his way to help stop and encourage him yeah and so we just kind of be a voice that says hey stop Look, listen, learn from God's word um, because there's so much more than we can cover. And you ultimately have the greatest teacher with you and it's Holy Spirit. And he's going to speak to you about something different in this passage. Maybe he even spoke to me or you. Um, and so you got to dig in for yourself to find the real um, jewel and benefit of it. Absolutely. So remember, he who steals your worship owned it to begin with. And uh, I was able to share that with someone else even this week. And so I encourage you, like Miss Heather did, dig in, study these things, and we will see you next week.